0: Welcome to Beyond the Crops, the podcast where we share the real and raw behind the scenes of conventional farming and what it's like to raise a family on America's backroads.
1: I'm MP. And I'm Jenna. Join us as we deep dive a very hot topic, GMOs or genetically modified organisms. If we're being completely honest, we were kind of scared to talk about this. We both questioned our own feelings on GMOs and have received our fair share of social media hate for growing GMO crops. Tune in to hear why we've questioned GMOs and why we still believe in them.
0: Woofta, we have Ufta. been preparing for this topic, Jenna.
1: Yes, we have been. Before we dive in though, how are you doing? What's what's <laughs> life like on the SAS farm? It's good. We're actually
0: experiencing some really weird weather right now because there's a bunch of smoke from Canada in our area and there's actually like health air health warnings right now. Yikes. And just today I started feeling like I my throat's kind of scratchy and none of uh-huh. us are sick. I think it's just from the air quality, which is weird. Yikes. And I feel bad for the people in Canada. We are praying for you that those wildfires can be put out.
1: I can't. We th- we had our first air quality warning two years ago. And where we live, our air quality is always very good. Like, you know, on your Apple weather app, it'll tell you ours is like in the green. And it got up to in the red and it was awful. And I just thought to myself, I can't imagine the people that are actually close to these fires, how bad the air is.
0: Yeah. It makes you just feel for them and i can't imagine some of the people like how they're feeling
1: yikes yeah scary stuff yeah how are the crops looking
0: they're looking good so we got a little shot of rain on saturday night and it really helped our crops just start popping up we were definitely feeling the effects of the drought so i mean mildly compared to you guys but things are really looking great the corn's above my shoulders now um Beans are looking good and starting to flower. We're still working on side dress and some post-emerge um, applications, but things are starting to look up, and we do have more chances for rain, which is a good thing. How about I you? saw
1: you. I saw your reel where you did the spray paint test, and after we talked about it last week, I did buy spray paint. I took the boys; they each bought their own picked their own color Cool, because we couldn't find any in the shop, which is so rare. I think our kids are, like I said, my kids love spray paint. And I think when they're out there with Levi, they'll just spray paint random things. So we were out, but we never made it out to the field to do it. And now the corn's head high at all the fields close to us. But Levi said, there is a field that's further. That's probably only a thigh high that I could still go do it on. So. I said I would circle back. I will still circle back on that.
0: Well, no pressure. It's fun. But it is it is a chore, especially if you are going out every day to look at it. Like ours, the field we did is only two miles away and I still I missed a day. It was Sunday, so justifiable. But you know, it's you hard were to get committed.
1: Out there. I was just gonna do it once and be like, Wow boys, look at how much it grew overnight.
0: <laughs> well, even if you just do it and wait like three days, then the difference is so much more. Right. So Are you guys, how's things looking in your area?
1: Pretty good. I mean, the drought is definitely still very real. I don't think we've had any rain since I talked to you last. Um, The irrigated crops look great. We're thankful for that resource. The dry land crops are still knocking on death's door pretty hard. They haven't Mm -hmm. completely given in. I talked to our agronomist over the weekend at our festival and he said they're not, they're not completely dead yet. So it's still unsure if an ear will be put on or not. It really probably depends on if we do get any, any more small rains.
0: Yeah, it's all in God's hands for sure.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, I feel a little distracted because on the motherhood side of things, I just feel like it's been a little bit hard lately. And we took away some privileges from Hank
1: and... <laughs> He's been We've been a little bit. <laughs> dealing with the same type of things, and I've had a lot of first world problems pop up this week. And at our parade this past weekend, they had there was a a covered wagon and two horses in it, and I was like, Levi, our families literally arrived here in that. That's all they had. So my dryer broke. So Levi tried to fix it the other day and I've been taking my, washing my clothes and taking them to my mother-in-law's and she'll dry them for me. She even folded a couple loads for me, bless her. And I was getting frustrated because Levi spent a long time fixing it and it still doesn't work. And so he finally called the repair guy and I just said, Jenna, this, our ancestors, arrived in wagons that's all they had they didn't have a dryer so shake it off
0: (laughs) i think though those modern things those modern conveniences allow us to be moms provide for our families and be able to do these things like the podcast on the side so it is a different kind of stress when you're thinking about yes this is what they came here on but that was their their focus was different than what our focus is today
1: So. so very true yeah. Our brand new grill is also not working. Oh no. <laughs> Which if you've followed me for any amount of time on social media, you know that we have a lot of grill issues. We had the same grill for twelve years. It survived several tornadoes and windstorms. And there my dad was here and he has the same grill and he said, This is not working right. It's still under warranty. So he's gonna come today and pick it up and hopefully get that replaced. Your dad
0: seems just awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, I love that. Yes
0: um so remember i told you we didn't turn on our ac
1: oh my gosh you're crazy so we did i've been flipping mine on and off since march
0: (laughs) we did turn it on for a couple of reasons one it was 90 degrees last weekend and two this whole air quality thing like we are trying to run our air and just keep the humidity out of our air in our house because then everything just feels wet you know Mm -hmm. we turned on our air and it wasn't working so our air conditioner is like 30 years old and we figured out like it was going to cost more to like just keep it maintained than to replace it. So we ended up getting very lucky and they replaced it like the day after we found out it was broken.
1: So. Oh, bless. Up <laughs> not for really. That.
0: Not really first world problems because we definitely didn't suffer.
1: Okay. Should we dive into this topic?
0: Yes. I think we should. We've spent a lot of time researching, maybe agonizing a little bit over the conversation.
1: And I think our agonizations are fair because. I think we've both received our fair share of hate on social media for growing GMO crops and using crop protection products that come along with growing GMO crops. And a lot of the hate that I've gotten has not been based in fact. And I have cried tears over the things people have said to me on social media about what we grow. So I I feel like our anxiousness is justifiable. It is.
0: And it's such a polarizing topic. It almost feels like there's only two sides and you can't fall somewhere in the middle. Like, you can't be kind of crunchy and believe in GMO technology. So I'm excited to dive into this topic and flesh out what we've been learning both of us have
1: kind of questioned GMOs. And is this the right thing? Is this what we should be doing? Is this what our farm should be growing? And the older I get, the more crunchy I get, if you will. I've researched more and more. I use more discernment and don't really trust anything until I research it, whether it's medical advice or any sort of recommendation from a governing body. I just don't blindly believe like I did back when I was a lot younger. And that goes with anything in my life, including our farming practices. So I have deep dived GMOs. I've researched them. I've considered what the alternative would be for our farm and for the world as a whole. And I've also visited research farms where they're literally doing the corn breeding and talked to corn breeders and how that works. And I do feel comfortable with our farming practices and what that and what we are doing.
0: I feel the same after having similar experiences in touring facilities and interning and in corn and soybean product development. So I also feel that same level of comfort.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah.
0: And one of the things we talked about is just like questioning anything, <laughs> and even when it comes to our healthcare and what we're putting in our bodies, what we're what we're fueling our bodies with fuel wise. And one of the things we talked about was just our kids' healthcare. So. We go to a pretty crunchy um, pediatrician, I would say, that will definitely prescribe. I say that like very loosely because they like if we have an ear infection on our kids, we're definitely giving them garlic ear oil before we're going to the antibiotic
1: route. So I don't know. That's and that's amazing that a yeah. pediatrician is doing that. And I think they're slowly starting to be more and more of that. For, but for just a mainstream pediatrician to be doing that is so incredible. We've done similar things, but it's going through a functional medicine provider and a more natural alternative type healthcare and doing our own research and talking to other friends. And I've heard about the garlic oil. My kids haven't had really ear infections since Sets and did, but the other two haven't. So I'm thankful for that. But how incredible that you have that in your back pocket.
0: Yeah. They will try pretty much anything before they go the antibiotic route, but they will go that route if it's necessary. And I think sometimes even as a parent, you're like Oh, the, having these sick kids is so, so, so hard. And if we just give him an antibiotic, maybe that'll kick it, but it doesn't always work that way. So I don't know. I am thankful for, thinking about the alternative options. Yes.
1: And I believe in modern medicine. I just think there's room for both options at the table. I think I told you, Mary Pat, my father-in-law would have died last summer without antibiotics. He got poked by a fish. It was a totally freak thing. Got this nasty infection in his hand. It was creeping up his arm. He was in the hospital for five days on IV antibiotics and it took them several different cultures to find an antibiotic that was actually going to, kill it. And he's fine. He gets to live a normal life back in the day. He would have died without modern medicine. He'd be dead. So I believe in it, but there's, I just feel like there's room at the table for both. And that kind of goes with farming too. There's, I feel like I can believe in conventional farming, organic farming, all the different types of farming. There is room for both and both are 100% necessary for this world to continue. I agree. 100%. Okay. So anytime you research anything, you're at risk for confirmation bias. So when you are researching something, the human brain is trying to find things that align with what you believe in. So we deep dive sites that are clearly in favor and clearly not in favor of GMOs. So what is a GMO? It's a genetically modified organism that needs to be very clear. Cause I feel like some of the hate we've received on social media, they were using GMOs as a noun and it's an abbreviation and weren't truly even understanding what it was. So there's, okay, one of the websites we looked at was the non Project.org, And this is definitely an organization that is anti-GMO. And I just want you to listen to how these two different organizations define it so differently. So non-GMO project defines a GMO or genetically mod- modified organism as a plant, animal, microorganism, or other organism whose genetic makeup has been modified in the laboratory using genetic engineering or transgenic technology. This creates combinations of plant, animal, bacterial, or viral genes that do not occur in nature or through traditional crossbreeding methods. Genetic modification affects many of the products we consume on a daily basis. As the number of GMOs available for commercial use grows every year, the non-GMO project works diligently to provide the most accurate up-to-date standards for non-GMO verification. So I think it's clear in their verbiage that they are anti-GMO. Now Mm -hmm. let's go over to gmoanswers.com which shares a lot of facts about gmos and is definitely pro gmo farming when people refer to genetically modified organisms or gmos they're referring to crops developed through genetic engineering a more precise method of plant breeding genetic engineering also referred to as biotechnology allows plant breeders to take a desirable trait found in nature and transfer it from one plant plant or organism to the plant that they want to improve as well as make a change to an existing trait in a plant they're developing. Some examples of de- desirable traits commonly transferred include resistance to insects and disease and tolerance to herbicides that allow farmers to better control weeds. So just the way that they defined how the breeding occurs, it's very clear that they're polarizing stances on that.
0: Yes. Like picking a few things out, just, Um, The non-GMO project is a labeling project, a food labeling project, and we can get into that more in a little bit. But definitely you feel the GMOs are everywhere type of vibe, like we should be afraid of them, Um, whereas that is definitely not the vibe coming from GMO Answers. It's very much more plain to the point, here's what they are, type of defining.
1: And so I have toured a corn breeding facility where they literally do the breeding, everything's hand-pollinated, and talked to corn breeders. And I feel like the definition from GMO answers more aligns with what I've actually seen. It's not just they're doing these concoctions in a laboratory, like the, G- the non-GMO project said, like one good example that I heard the corn breeder talk about was the case of BT corn. So that's where the scientists took the donor organism, which is a naturally occurring soil bacteria, Bacillus thuringiensis, which produces a gene that kills Lepidoptera larvae. I don't know if I said that right, but they're essentially the European corn borer worms. So that bacteria that's already in the soil is poisonous to those worms. They used the gene from that naturally occurring bacteria in the corn breeding process so that there was now corn varieties that produce that same protein to kill those corn borer worms. So BT corn was an amazing development for conventional farming because now we can plant these corn varieties that are resistant to those worms that are detrimental to crops and not have to use the insecticides that we would have normally used to control those worms.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the BT trait has allowed for less insecticide use, and they're targeting a very specific type of pest with that kind of a trait. So one of the podcasts I listened to in preparation for this, like we were listening to all across the board, right? Yes. Pro and against. And one of the podcasts that I would say was kind of in the middle, talked about how there was actually more, like a variety of insects in field. There was a study done. I, sh- I can find that information if someone wants it, but um, there was a study done where they compared the amount of different insects in a field that was GMO corn and non-GMO. And they found that there was more, a variety of more insects like spiders and different beneficial insects in the GMO corn because it wasn't like there weren't as many insecticides
1: used. Interesting, interesting. which Mm -hmm. is not surprising to me because I mean, when we spray our crops, this is something that I've shared a reel of that I got a lot of hate for, but whatever. Um, like when our sprayer is going through the field, I did a calculation. It's like taking a pop can of that herbicide that we're using and sprinkling it over a football field. Like that's about the size of an acre and that like little, just a few ounces is the potency used. So like 98% of what's coming out of our sprayers is water. And because of GMO technology, we're able to use so much less pesticides and herbicides. I looked, I found statistics all over the board, but I'm going to be conservative. And the lowest statistic that I found was that pesticide use decreased by 8.1%. I found some studies up to in like 36, 39%. So I'm taking that with a grain of salt and just sharing the lowest one was at least 8.1% less herbicide and pesticide use because of GM technology.
0: I believe it. I think it gives farmers more options too, because right now, if you were to plant more conventional non-traded hybrids you would almost have to put on it some kind of insecticide oh absolutely to get a crop but because they've had like you can kind of have a choice with gmos if you want to use that insecticide or not mm-hmm. which is definitely due to the or i could see that being a huge part of the decrease in the use of them
1: yes and this is not an organic con- or conventional farming conversation but i feel like this aligns with what we're talking about with spraying is just because something's labeled organic does not mean that pesticides weren't used. It just means that the pesticides or herbicides were not synthetic. So organic foods don't necessarily mean it's spray-free. I've seen that like, oh, there's nothing sprayed on these fields. That's not necessarily true. They're just not spraying anything that's synthetic. So let's talk
0: about labeling since we're kind of on that.
1: Oh yeah, this is I can get real excited about labeling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we, we didn't even mention this and this is part of the history, but there's only 10 GMO crops approved in the U S right now.
1: Yes. Um, And those 10 crops are corn, soybeans, alfalfa, sugar beets, canola, potatoes, apples, papayas, cotton, and squash. mm -hmm. But I'm sure you've seen the non GMO label on products that are not in those 10, 10, crops. Yes, definitely. Especially a lot of wheat products. You'll see the certified non-GMO. There's no GMO wheat on the market. I do believe that they're working on it, but it is not there yet. So you could be in the pasta aisle and there's two wheat pastas. One of them's probably the store brand and it doesn't have a label on it. There's then probably a name brand right next to it. Same pasta, really good chance that those pastas are pretty identical. And there's even a small chance they were produced in the same factory. Only difference is one of them has that non-GMO label on it and it's more expensive. So the non-GMO project is simply a labeling thing and it's a marketing tool that companies use. They pay to have that label put on their products. And then the consumer sees that because I feel like there's been this uh, misguided stuff in the media about what GMOs are and what non-GMO means. And when you see a non-GMO label on something that doesn't even have a GMO counterpart as a farmer, that's very frustrating. Like I see it on orange juice. It's even, I was reading about, it was on salt. Salt is not even an organism. It doesn't have genes. So that can't Mm -hmm. be GM at all. (laughs)
0: Yes. I like, I would have echoed exactly what you said. Like I'm definitely for consumers knowing what they're, what they're eating and what they're buying and being able to make the choice. And we are, blessed in this country to have the amount of food choice that we have. Um, But adding to the fear and just making that illusion that GMOs are everywhere is part of the problem. Um, I do think like probably the place where they could be most effective is in processed foods where we would see possibly more GMOs that would be harder to tell if they were in there or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But also non-GMO does not equal GMO free because they actually can't claim that on
1: their label. So I can get hot about labelings, whether it's GMO, non-GMO or not. Like our, our, the beef that we sell from our farm is all natural. Those animals have never been treated with antibiotics, none of that. But to put that on my label, I would have to pay for a certification to put that on there. And that's not worth it to us as a small family farm. Because that would never cash flow on our end. And I just share about how our crops are grown and, or not our crops, sorry, how our beef is grown. And then people relate to that and they know that we're doing it the right way and that it is all natural. But I'm not going to pay for that to be on my label because that's a marketing game I don't have, I can't afford to get into. And it's just kind of sad because I feel like there is a lot of bigger companies that can pay for these marketing labeling things and then they get more business when there's a lot of smaller farmers selling products straight from their farm, whether it's beef or whether it's a produce product or whatever it may be that these just, it's not feasible to pay for those labeling things.
0: I agree a hundred percent. And I think it's hard to figure out what you want to trust because you mentioned this already, but when you start to research something so polarizing like GMOs, you'll very easily find whatever you need to support what you hope to be true. And It's like, where do we draw the line between passion and facts? What is actually true? And, you know, listening to our podcast, of course we have a bias. Like farming is our livelihood. It's what we do to provide for our family. And GMOs have been a tool that we've both used. So we're going to hope that what we're doing is good and safe and all of that stuff. So it's really, I think, a hard topic to dive into from that perspective, because there's so much information all, all over the place. What is, what is
1: true? Agreed. And we are biased, like Mary Pat said, but we've both questioned it through our own health journeys and different things. And my family is very picky about what we put into our bodies. My husband has always been just eats very wholesome foods. And so I asked him, I said, are you comfortable with growing genetically modified crops? And he didn't even hesitate. And he said, yes. And I said, well, why? Why are you comfortable doing that? And he said, Jenna, farmers are tasked with feeding the world, providing fuel for the world, and providing enough fiber for the clothes that we wear. There's already communities and countries all over the world that are starving and have hunger issues. And without GMO crops, that would be a worldwide hunger crisis. A huge benefit of genetically modified crops is that we can grow so much more on less land. So as the population grows and more farm ground gets turned into urban areas, this has allowed farmers to grow enough to feed and fuel the world on even less land, which is incredible that this technology and uh, farming practice is available because like I said, there would be a huge worldwide crisis without it. According to Farm Bureau, one U.S. farm feeds 166 people annually in the U.S. and abroad. The global population is expected to increase by 2.2 billion by 2050, which means the world's farmers will have to grow about 70% more food than what is now produced. That's kind of daunting to think about because we've already increased our efficiency so much and that's just something we'll have to continue to get better on. And genetically modified organisms are a piece of that puzzle.
0: Yes, We definitely talked like there's no one thing, no one key to solving the like hunger issues that we have.
1: The hunger, environment, sustainability. There's no one answer to any of those issues that are very hot topics.
0: When it comes to choosing soybean products on our farm, we don't leave anything up to chance. NK gives us the soybean genetics and trait options that we can trust to perform every single season. We've increased our number of NK soybeans this season because they've continued to prove themselves on our farm and we don't gamble with our beans. Check out the 2024 NK launch mm-hmm. class with 28 new soybean varieties and get the right fit for your acre at nkseeds.com slash retailer. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to talk about how our farm is kind of maybe a little unique because uh, maybe we're not, I don't know. We grow both GMO and non-GMO for for both corn and soybeans. So I wanted to get my brother-in-law's perspective because because we're doing all those different things. And basically he, what he told me is um, with our conventional soybeans and corn, we have to have a really good herb- herbicide program or we have to use a lot of tillage for weed management. So like there's a lot of different benefits that we've been able to find from GMOs in using less fuel to produce and tilling the ground less, especially with so many minimal tillage practices coming out and the benefits we're seeing from that. Um, and the other thing he mentioned is we, in our region, I'm not saying that this is true for everybody, but we definitely haven't seen an increase in yield just because of the the varieties being GMO or non-GMO. It's more um, the management and being able to control the weeds and the insect pressure with less inputs. Mm -hmm. And it's more, I guess, reliable, the the management of it, than the conventional counterparts. We have actually seen a decrease of yield when it comes to soybeans. So our GM soybeans do yield more than our non-GM. GM. So like they're called, we call them food grade beans. And those food grade beans we get a premium for growing them because they are used for food. Most of them are exported anyway, but um, so like all of the GM crops that we're growing, they aren't even going directly to like human consumption, except for our sweet corn, which is GMO that we eat as a family and feel totally right. safe about.
1: Yeah, our crop is almost exclusively used for ethanol production. We're kind of in a sweet spot where there's lots of ethanol plants around us. So that's the easiest and closest, most efficient thing to haul our our crop to. And the most recent study from the Department of Energy published by Argonne National Laboratory in 2021 found that U.S. corn ethanol has 44 to 52 percent lower greenhouse gas emissions than gasoline. So Ethanol made from corn grown by farmers like me and my family is so incredible and such a useful tool in decreasing greenhouse gas emissions and continuing to provide enough fuel without relying 100% on fossil fuels.
0: And the byproduct goes to feeding animals.
1: Before you go on, that's important to note that there is a byproduct of ethanol production called distillers. And that's used to feed feedlots. Uh, it's used a lot by feedlots to feed their feeder cattle. And so another great thing that's happening is that the byproducts aren't getting discarded. They're being recycled.
0: Did you know we even export those? The I distillers? I that this weekend. Yeah. I did not. I went to a facility where they load like big, big, big ships that go on the great lakes and then to like, uh, foreign countries where we sell our, and they sell, they sell them as an animal feed. So it's really interesting Mm -hmm. anyway, but I was going to say too, that, um, one of the misconceptions that we hear, or I, I believe to be false from the research that I've done is when an animal eats the byproduct or the GMO crop that it goes somehow into the meat, the milk or the eggs of the animal that's eating it. And from what I've learned, there has never been anything proven where you can tell the difference in that in that product, but there's actual GM in the meat or the milk or the eggs that we're eating.
1: Right. I, there have been studies done that compares like grass fed versus corn fed beef, and there's no nutrient differences. There's, it's truly a personal preference. And like Mary Pet said, I'm totally for food choice and choosing whatever feels right with you and what is best for you and your family. But I just think that those choices should come backed by an education on the alternative. Mm
0: -hmm. The other thing too, with growing Conventional versus GMO, both on our farm, that we've we are hoping that will benefit us in the long run because we haven't done that for very many years straight. Like it's kind of new for us is just having diversity in what we use for pest management so that we're not always using the same programs on the same fields every year. And I feel like with the more trait packages that come out, the more farmers will be able to switch how they're using different products so that we can um, just better steward the technology that's being developed.
1: And I think it's worth noting that farmers don't want to spray their fields. It's so expensive for us to do that, but we have to have a crop because the world's relying on it and our families are relying on us selling that crop in order to keep living. And we, I think there's this misconception that because we grow GMO crops that we're just constantly spraying everything. It's a literally must need situation only. We have an agronomist scatter fields every week and then he lets us know like, hey, You're getting a lot of weed pressure here or there's uh, pests that have moved in on this field. It's not something that's widely used. It's literally just a must need basis only because it is such a huge investment for us. And then with all of the storms that we're kind of prone to in Nebraska, we're not we don't want to put that type of money on a crop that might get destroyed. And so we're very, very picky about what we spray and how much we spray.
0: So I think we've hit the two big reasons why GMOs were created to help with insect and herbicide resistance. But there's a lot of other reasons that I feel like kind of get thrown to the back burner because there's so many arguments against these two main things. So I wanted to I brought up a few of them. Um, So apples were approved in 2015 and the GMO component in them is to suppress the oxidase enzyme, which causes the browning. And increase the amount of food waste because people are throwing out their apples because they're turning brown. And like after you cut them, it should slow the the browning process as well. And the story is similar for potatoes. So I think a big problem. I mean, we all should. I don't know if everyone knows this, but a third of the food produced for human consumption globally is wasted. And that number That's is even That's a cringy, higher.
1: cringy yes. statistic.
0: But it's higher in the U.S. I believe that number goes up to forty percent. Don't quote me on that. Cause I don't have that written down in front of me, but half of the produce that is wasted is due to cosmetic issues like bruises and wow. cuts. And then another big one that I've, I find so interesting is the papaya. So <laughs> between um, 1993 and 2006 pa- papaya production dropped by 50% mainly due to the papaya ring spot virus. And so they developed papayas that are ring spot resistant and they encompass like 90% of the papayas grown now. And if you don't know this, there's a huge, uh, I guess, proportion of papayas grown in Hawaii, but they only allow GM papayas to be grown in Hawaii, not any other GM crops. That genetic modification saved the papaya industry and saved a lot of farmers in Hawaii from going out of business in papaya production.
1: And thank goodness, I love papayas. Yeah. And so another
0: one that I think has definitely been thrown on the burner for being like controversy on it is golden rice and having vitamin a in rice for these countries that don't have access to it in their diets as freely as other areas and that has helped save people's lives and save their vision as well from going blind from vitamin a deficiency wow and one more because i this is actually probably my favorite one so alfalfa has been bred to have lower lignin in it. So lignin is like fiber and it's harder for the cows to digest. So this is one of the products I worked with in my old job, actually, to have this lower lignin alfalfa, it's more digestible by the cattle and more efficient for them to
1: produce milk. Very cool. I did not know
0: about that. So it's not all about the the weeds and the bugs. (laughs) There's other reasons for
1: bringing in these GM technologies. There's also, uh, through GM technology, there's more drought-resistant corn, which that's a hot topic here, especially where I live. And if you don't have irrigation, that you want to be planting those varieties that are more drought-resistant and don't require near the water that normal corn would. There's also research being done, and there are some varieties on the market. It's just not very popular yet. Uh they're developing short corn or wind resistant corn, if you will, because if it's shorter, it's a lot less susceptible to green snap in the ninety mile an hour winds that we get frequently in Nebraska.
0: I've seen that corn in a research plot and it is very interesting. The yes. leaves are so
1: wide on it. Uh-huh.
0: But it's really short. It's so Weird to look at. It's
1: yeah, it is. It is weird for sure. When you're, especially when you're used to ten to twelve foot corn, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, it must be June. Nope, that's it's full grown corn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, it takes an average of thirteen years of research before a new GMO comes on the market. Actually, when I met with that corn breeder a couple of years ago, he was literally working on products that are aren't going to be on the market until well after his retirement. Which that's crazy to think about. It's not like, oh, we're just going to mix some things in a laboratory and put it out there they are so extensively researched
0: yes and there's over 30 years of data so far attesting to the safety and benefits of GMO technology which I think they get a bad rap for not being heavily researched but unbeknownst to probably a lot of people they're more regulated than their non-GMO counterparts as far as like safety and environmental review um, that's there's a huge amount of investment that goes into getting a GMO onto the Mm -hmm. onto the market
1: we used to grow a uh, food grade white corn, which was a genetically modified product. And we also spoke with a white corn breeder and something that was interesting about that product is it actually goes to the end user before it's approved to go on the market. So they'll develop this variety over that 13 plus that's an average. I, I almost want to say that's a low average. I remember hearing numbers like 30 to 40 years before it's truly from idea to on the market, but this white corn, they'll take it. So they'll develop the variety and then they'll take it to just for example, Frito-Lay. They make a lot of corn products. They have corn chips, tortillas, different things. The, they have to approve it that it is able to be used in these foods that we consume before it's even available to the farmer to grow, which is very interesting. Thank that you. is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes sense though. This is Jenna. I wanted to take a minute to highlight my family's direct-to-consumer beef operation. Born out of boredom and grown to shipping beef to all 50 states, 00 Beef started as an idea to diversify our farm and get our premium homegrown beef to friends and families across the country. Our family has been raising beef for generations. The herd genetics we have fine-tuned over the years, combined with an extended finish and 28-day dry age, creates beef with flavor that is second to none. Try double O beef for yourself by ordering at shop.doubleofarms.com farmscom and use code beyond the crops for a discount on your next order. Okay. I know we've kind of talked a lot about the benefits and the labeling, which are the big hotspots for me. Mary Pat gets a little fired up about Roundup. So let's hear about it.
0: Oh gosh. Okay. So I think when GMOs come up, Roundup seems to be the forefront of everything in the media when it comes to resistance against GMOs. I think that maybe it's just gotten more attention than it deserves, in my opinion. like Mm -hmm. We have to use different forms of integrated pest management to manage our crops these days, and it is not all Roundup. Um, It's definitely still a product we use to manage, but as far as the safety of it, um, it's less toxic than caffeine and salt, and it's much less toxic than the pesticides that came before it. So I feel like when managed properly, glyphosate is benign. We have to be certified to apply crop protection products on our farm. Like We have to take a test before we can handle the
1: products to make sure we know how to do it properly. And I'm sure every state is different, but Levi has to have uh, permits for everything that he applies, whether it's chemigation, pesticide, herbicide use. Mm Mm-hmm. When Mary Pat was referring to toxicity, there's a number that scientists use called an LD50 or lethal dose 50. And that's the amount of a chemical that's lethal to one half of the experimental animals it's exposed to. So they use that for roundup. That's also used for literally anything that we can consume. Salt, caffeine, different examples that MP used.
0: One of the things I heard was on another podcast or in an article, I can't remember where now with all the research we've done, but um, you would have to eat 65 pounds of produce unwashed, per day. To even have a chance to get close to the LD50 of glyphosate. And I can't remember the LD50 of caffeine and salt, but they were like, I think uh, caffeine was at least five times more. No, it was more than that. Like, So the LD50 of glyphosate is 5,600 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And I believe um, caffeine was 50, if I remember right. I'd have to look that up. The LD50 of caffeine is between 150 to 200 milligrams per kilogram. So that's like, how do you even compare the two? Right. It's just telling you that less caffeine is like, you don't need nearly as much caffeine to affect you in a negative way than you would Roundup, for example.
1: And I feel like the hot topic when it comes to Roundup, it feels like as a conventional farmer that grows GMOs, that the general population can just kind of label us as, oh, they're just like willy-nilly using Roundup. And kind of like I said before, it's expensive. And we only use it if we absolutely have to. And we actually probably use other herbicides more than Roundup.
0: Yeah, and the problem too is if we aren't responsibly using these chemicals, we develop resistance. And so by using different modes of action with our, with our herbicides and our, and our insecticides and all of that, is what's helping to preserve the technology that's been creative
1: Mm -hmm. and watch. I know Levi watches the weather like a hawk before he sprays because he doesn't want to spray right before a big rain jokes that we might actually get a big rain (laughs) Um, because if he were to, and then that rain is going to dilute that whatever he just sprayed. And then that's how that resistance can be developed. So we're very careful about when we spray, what we spray and how much we spray because it is a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So I think maybe like if we're, if we're kind of summarizing our thoughts here, I think maybe the reason that it's even a leery topic for us is just like, we have questioned this technology Uh and we have wondered like, okay, yes, these regulatory bodies are telling us they're safe, but we question their decisions on other things too. So it, it would almost be unnatural to like, just go along with everything we're told in this case.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think I the biggest thing that I want everybody to take away from this is that we are being transparent and we have questioned it and prayed about it. And I mean the Lord calls us to use discernment in Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And so we are commanded to use discernment in every part of our lives and I We've prayed about it, and we have researched and used discernment. And I do feel good that we grow GMO crops because we're called to produce enough food, fuel, and fiber for the entire world. And without GMO crops and advance, advancements, there simply would not be enough to go around, and the food and fuel crisis would become a worldwide issue.
0: I think anytime you're looking at information on a topic so polarizing, do your best to look at both sides and find the information coming from different outlets to make your own opinion on this. There is so much information out there. It is a daunting topic for us to cover and for us to look at. Um, And then ultimately make your choice on what you believe to be best for your family with the information and the knowledge that you
1: have. I think the biggest thing I want people to take away from this is that there's room for both at the table. Like, Yes, we believe in modern medicine. Yes, we also utilize functional medicine and homeopathy and more natural approaches to things first. Yes, it's necessary for the world to have both organic and conventional and GM products on the market because it just simply isn't feasible for one of those areas to supply the entire world. And I
0: think a couple good resources that I've enjoyed is like
1: I know that, again,
0: we're looking at bias and we definitely will share some resources in the show notes for you, but I really enjoyed the perspective that the, farm sci- or <laughs> that the food science babe brings to the table. She really presents the facts and sometimes I get leery again because we're like, okay, let's dig into this a little deeper, but I have enjoyed learning from her on some of these more complex and nuanced topics.
1: So yes, full transparency. We have felt like a hypocrite in the past for seeking more natural things in our lives, but still growing genetically modified crops. But we've done what the Lord called us to do. We've used discernment. I've researched genetically modified crops and analyzed our farming practices. I've seen the corn breeding research firsthand, and I still truly believe that the way that we farm is essential and necessary for our growing population. What it comes down to is that farmers are called to produce enough food, fuel, and fiber for the entire world. And without genetically modified advancements, there simply would not be enough to go around.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Beyond the Crops. Remember to subscribe for notifications when new episodes drop every Tuesday. Leave us a review for a chance to win this month's giveaway and find us outside of the podcast on our social channels linked in the show notes. See you next time.